welcome to the Kona Edge, where you'll discover what the best triathletes in the world do to give them the edge. You're listening to the Kona Edge. I'm Brad Brown. Thank you so much for joining us today. And don't forget, uh, time is running out. If you'd like to get your name into the draw for this month's Half Iron Man entry, all you need to do is head over to thekonaedge.com forward slash win or simply text the word Ironman to 44222 and I'll send you the details right back. Today's podcast, we head to Melbourne in Victorian Australia to catch up uh, with uh, a guy who's got a pretty phenomenal story. Uh, was sedentary pretty much until the age of 30 and has raced on the Big Island many, many, many times. He's been around the sport of triathlon now for nearly two decades and he's got a pretty cool story to share. We'll head uh, to this Rob Hill in just a moment to find out a little bit more about him. But before we do that, let's uh, head to the coach's corner. Today's Coach's Corner is brought to you by Tri Marnie Triathlon Coaching. For the past 11 years, Marnie and Carl Sumbal have shared a very active lifestyle together. As long-time competitive athletes, they've achieved a number of athletic accomplishments in the sport of swimming, running, triathlon and cycling. Over time, the athletic hobby turned into a respectable and successful business. Trimani Coaching and Nutrition offers effective coaching and nutrition strategies designed to help athletes achieve healthy habits and athletic excellence. Trimani believes in incorporating scientific research with practical ideologies and applying this information to real-world settings to help triathletes develop and excel on race day. Between them both, they have successfully finished 18 Ironman triathlons and have competed in the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii, a total of six times. Marnie is a board-certified sport dietitian with a Master's of Science in Exercise Physiology, and Carl is an experienced retool bike specialist, former Cat 1 cyclist, and proficient bike mechanic. Between them both, they have many years of practice, education, and skills from their own athletic careers and now apply that experience and knowledge to athletes of all fitness levels. Trimani offers a variety of services from daily and sport nutrition consultations, sweat testing, retool bike fits, private and group training camps, and coaching. To discover more about Trimani Triathlon Coaching, head over to theconaedge.com forward slash coaching. And don't forget, if you're a coach or if you have a coaching business and would like to get a plug on the podcast, head over to theconaedge.com forward slash coaching. to Melbourne now in Australia to catch up with Rob Hill. Rob, welcome onto the Cone Edge. Thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot, Brad. It's great to uh, get a chance to talk to you and your listeners and, uh, yeah, appreciate the opportunity. Rob, I, I love chatting to to folks from Australia because uh, often I chat to, to people in North America or in Europe and and obviously with the, with the Northern Southern Hemisphere thing, it's either terrible weather where I am and it's beautiful where they are or vice versa but you're pretty much in the same boat as, as we are as we're recording this smack bang in the middle of winter yeah yeah the, the southern hemisphere it's uh yeah I think uh any of us that are fortunate enough to be uh training for Hawaii it's um it's tough yeah we, we're training through our winter and then early spring is often the wettest season in 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 Melbourne and uh and then we you know, have to get on the plane and head over to Kona and uh all the Euros and uh, the uh, mainland US people are tanned and you know, coming out of their summer. And uh, yeah, I think we get a bit ripped off. But oh well, I'm not going to complain. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Rob, 
Melbourne is is probably the sporting capital of Australia. I mean, all the all the big sporting events happen there. The I think the Aussie Open tennis. Uh, you, you think of the MCG, massive cricket ground. There's, I mean, they play footy there as well. You've got a big Super Rugby yep. team. Uh, it's it's a great place to live if you if you do lead an active lifestyle, isn't it? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it it's um interesting because the weather is uh, not always ideal, as we were saying about winter and. And again, in summer, it uh, it gets up into the the low forties on the really hot days, and the the dry wind comes off the desert inland Australia, and it's uh, it can be quite harsh conditions. But uh, yeah, there's something about Melbourne, and um, yeah, it, uh, people love their sport here, and and people like participating in the sport too. And um, and triathlon has uh, always been big for as long as I've been doing it in in Melbourne, and. Um, and yeah, we're just talking before about I'm in Melbourne, and it's um, it, it has sort of got a lot more interest in uh, in people wanting to take part and understanding what a what an Ironman triathlon is, and um, and yeah, even though it's uh, unfortunately uh, it only lasted I think four years and um, and uh, no longer uh, any Ironman Melbourne, but uh, people will still talk about it, and it's still got a lot of people interested in the sport of triathlon. As far as your interest in in the sport, where did where did that stem from? Um, from very modest uh, beginnings, Brad. It's um, yeah, I I did no sort of regular exercise at all until I turned thirty. Would you believe? And um, and uh, I was pretty unfit, and I loved to drink, and uh, yeah, exercise didn't uh, really you know come come to me as something that I should be doing, and. Uh, yeah, I just uh, all of a sudden I, I hit thirty and thought I want to start running around the block. So I uh, headed out the door in my basketball shoes, and um, I think I made it down the end of the street and had to walk back. I was I was so out of breath, and um, that was day one. And um, I think it, yeah, it was. Uh, I think I was thirty five, um, and a couple of years into doing some shorter triathlons, I um, I ended up. Uh, deciding to do the the big one the Ironman triathlon and uh yeah so it was a pretty rapid uh, uh improvement to the level where I could take on a, a long distance triathlon Rob what was the attraction to 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 triathlon as a sport I mean you, you mentioned going out the door and, and deciding you wanted to run uh, being unfit taking on one sport that uh, takes a bit of uh, athletic uh, abilities is pretty tough what, what was the thinking about doing three <laughs> Look, uh, I think um, for a lot of us, you know, if, if we're the obsessive types, and I'd, I'd say if I was going to sum up triathletes, we tend to be obsessive types. I think the, having a, a race that we can compete in that has a swim, then a bike, then a run, there is nothing more satisfying than that. And my first triathlon back in 97, it was a team event and uh, we all had to swim, bike, run, and then hand over the, the band to the next uh team member and um yeah everything went wrong for me and uh and yet I got to that finish line and it was the best thing I'd ever experienced in my life and I thought this is a sport for me um so I think just that and every race I've done since and I I I couldn't count how many triathlons I've done but uh yeah that feeling is still there that even if it's a a short sprint race or if it's a half Ironman or an Ironman doesn't matter just yeah getting in the water to start the race and then, you know, onto the bike and then finishing with a run. There's something about it 
Um, and as we probably saw with the history of the sport and, and where many years ago duathlon was quite big, but it's really died off because it doesn't seem to have that, you know, that satisfaction of getting to the finish line when you've done three sports in the one race. Yep, absolutely. Rob, as far as growing up, I mean, Australia is a very sort of active outdoorsy sort of country. You, you said you weren't active until you were about 30. Growing up, were you? did you partake in sport at school and, and that sort of thing? What I mean, were you active at all? I was one of I was one of those kids that, uh, you know, if I could get out of sport, I'd, I would. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, look, I, I didn't show much natural ability, uh, to say the least. And uh, my father was uh, a very good sportsman and uh, he played cricket at, uh, you know, through school and university and, and then played, got into golf and had a handicap of one, I think, and was considering turning professional. And um, But he had a he had a view that you were either born a good sportsman or you weren't. It wasn't something that you could work on and become good, um, which was an interesting uh, mindset. And it's certainly one that I don't have. Um, and so I, I grew up and I had a bit of asthma like a lot of kids do. Um, and that sort of made it that much harder. Anyway, I couldn't really run without getting out of breath. And I just thought, well, that's, that's me. I'm not athletic. I never will be and sports is for other people. Um, and it was only when, yeah, as, as a sort of in my late teens and becoming a, a young adult, I, I sort of a few life lessons where I realised that, hey, my dad's view wasn't necessarily the way things are. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I loved him. I looked up to him. But, you know, eventually you get to that age, you think, well, some of his views were a bit, you know, a bit different. I don't agree with them. And, um yeah, I think part of the buzz for me was proving not not my dad wrong, but proving me wrong that I could actually become a good athlete. How often is that the case, though, where, where someone says something and, and they don't even realise that they're having that impression on you, but you turn around and, and go, you know what, I, I think I'm, I'm different. I'm going to not necessarily, like you say, prove them wrong, but uh, how big a driving force that is. I mean, I met a doctor back yeah. in 2010 that said to me, I'm, I'm crazy to think of running ultramarathons. And less than a year later, I was, uh, I was on the start line of, of one of the biggest in the world. So, yeah, sometimes you just need someone to say you can't do it for you to actually go out and uh, get that fire in your, in your belly to, to get it done. I agree, Brad. I think, uh, yeah, for some of us, maybe us uh, belligerent ones, we uh, love nothing better than being told we can't do something. And, yeah, but I think for me it's certainly probably more my previous personal view of myself that I couldn't do it, you know, as much as anyone else telling me I couldn't do things. But, uh, yeah, but it fires me up even now, you know, if someone sort of just even infers that I won't be able to achieve a goal I've set myself, then, you know, almost guaranteed I'll, I might not achieve it, but I'll be doing everything uh, possible to, to get close. I love that. Rob, when did you realise you actually had some ability and you were pretty good at this thing? <laughs> well, I um, when I started running, it was pretty much to try and, you know, just clear my head because I was studying part-time at that point. I was working full-time. And so I was having a, I couldn't study after work. I was too sort of minded. So I was getting up very early in the morning to study before I went to work. And I just found it really hard to wake my brain up. So I ended up, uh, yeah, that's when I started the running around the block. And then the running around the block got longer and longer. So suddenly I'm doing like 10 kilometer runs, but, you know, at, at 4.30 a.m. in the morning and it was dark and no one's around. So I never came across or very rarely came across anyone else running 
So I couldn't compare myself to anyone. So for the first couple of years, I was running on my own and uh, had no idea if I was good or bad or anything. And it didn't matter because I wasn't doing it to compete. But uh, I started um, getting dragged into to some competitions from guys at work who were into running and into triathlons. And straight away, I realized that, hey, I'm compared to others, I'm actually, you know, pretty good runner and, you know, despite starting so late. So, yeah, that was right early on at running at least, I realized oh, I can be pretty good at this. And as, as far as racing on the big island and getting there, you have to have uh, a bit of a competitive uh, streak in you. Or, or would you say you're pretty competitive? Do you hate losing? <laughs> um, yeah, look, I think uh, I, I, I suppose in a way I do hate losing if I know that I could have won, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, but, yeah, when I started out and I did my first Ironman and I came – a hundredth in my age group and I was like 770th overall. And, uh, that was Ironman Australia back in uh, 2000. And, um, yeah, a lot of friends of mine, they had this dream that, you know, they got into the sport cause they wanted to race a Hawaii Ironman. And I remember watching it as, you know, a teenager with my dad and, and saying, these guys are crazy. You know, they're running a marathon after riding through the lava fields and that, you know, just insane. But I never had this day and, and, and then when I started in triathlon and uh, and then did my first Ironman, I just didn't think I'd probably ever be good enough to do it. So it wasn't really a goal. But then I'm the sort of guy that if I enjoy something, I want to unravel the mysteries of it and work out how you succeed in it. And um, so I wanted to get better. Yeah, not not to race Hawaii, but I just wanted to get faster and, and, and yeah, have some results I could be proud of. And... Um, yeah, and, and before I knew it, I was, uh, yeah, I started off in that 35, 39 age group. And then when I started looking at the 40 to 44 qualifying times for Hawaii, I realized that, hey, you know, I only have to improve another 10 or 15 minutes in an Ironman. And I'm right up there, you know, in, with a, a chance of getting a Hawaii slot. As far as that first Ironman of yours that you mentioned, I mean, it's you've been around the sport for a while now, but uh, it, the, the first one, you go into it, you just don't want to die. That's, I think, for, for most of us, that's the goal. But, uh, I mean, time-wise and splits-wise, do you, do you remember what you did in that first one? Uh, vaguely. Um, look, I, Brad, I was, I was pissed off at the finish line. Like I, and I think the main reason was I'd never run a marathon. Um, so, and I still haven't, I've only ever, <laughs> I think I'm up to 20 something Ironmans and I've never done a, a straight marathon. Um, but that first Ironman, I thought I'm not only going to be doing my first Ironman, I'm going to be running the first marathon. So it was, you know, both of those were big things to me. And I ended up, uh, yeah, I think I swam an hour five and then I biked 5.30, which for many years was my quickest bike speed. So obviously I overbiked, as a lot of us do. And then, uh, yeah, I, I was able to run through the first 14 kilometres and then I just couldn't take another step running. I was in, uh, I don't know if it was dehydration or, yeah, biking too hard, I'm sure was a factor. Um, and, and not training properly. Back then, yeah, no one had coaches, no one... Yeah, I was trying to read magazines of, you know, getting tips from Greg Welsh who said that, you know, you've got to go out and do, you know, six-hour bike rides at your Ironman pace and that for training to know you're ready. And 
I couldn't do that, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and, and I would never get, I'm coaching some guys now, I would never get my athletes to go out for a six-hour Ironman pace bike ride because it just does your head in. You know, on race day you can do it. But, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I was, I was so ignorant. I was naive and, and didn't know what I was doing. I knew one guy in Melbourne who had done an Ironman and he wasn't giving much away. <laughs> so <laughs> I went to that race and... Uh, yeah, but I ended up. Uh, I was. I walked for the for the second fourteen k's, and then I finally recovered enough to uh, run the last fourteen k's and um, stormed home. And thought, yeah, that was that was a soft effort, Rob. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was down on myself. But the next day, I woke up and hey, I was I was satisfied. And I think that's the secret of the sport that I've learned is that you've got to have the, if you really want to reach your potential and, and improve and, and achieve some good things, you've just got to get a right balance of um, satisfied with your result when you know you've given it all you could, but not too satisfied where you don't hurt a bit inside, which is then your motivation to want to improve for next time. But isn't that one of the great things about Ironman? Because it's so long, you, I mean, the, the odds of you having the perfect race where everything goes according to plan, it, it's pretty slim. So there, there's always something yeah. sort of left and some unfinished business you may feel after a race. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so many, you know, variables, you know, so many sort of dials on the computer, so to speak, that we can turn, whether it's the nutrition knob or it's the training volume knob or the, the intensity knob to try and find that thing that's going to work for us that'll give us that improvement. Absolutely. Rob, how's the sport changed? Uh, I mean, you mentioned, I think you said early 2000 was uh, your, your first Ironman. I mean, things things have changed yeah. a lot, in, in your opinion. Is yeah. it for the better? Is it for the worse? What, what, what are some of the good things? What are some of the bad things? Okay, look, it's, yeah, it's never clear cut, and um, I can see positives and negatives with the changes over the last 17 years in Ironman. And um, look, back then, and... Uh, Certainly in Australia, it was <clears throat> it was sort of run for the athletes, and um, you know the, you, the race used to be uh, Ironman Australia used to be in a place called uh, Foster Tuncurry, a, a small sort of twin town, um, and uh, almost too small to have the race because it was hard to get accommodation. If you wanted to go to a, a local restaurant in race week, you had to go early in the week because closer to to the race uh, they were all full and. <laughs> It was really, uh, yeah, it was quite different. And But the organisers and the race director and, you know, it was all about their love of the sport and, and love of the athletes. And, um, yeah, it wasn't just about the money. Um, so that's probably been the biggest change that, you know, we, we uh, for the sport to grow as big as it's got and, and for us to have the opportunity to race in so many different locations and do an Ironman race. And, and let's face it, the Ironman brand, they do put on a good race. Um, we know what we're getting. We know that it's going to be generally very well run and, um, you know, that you're going to be looked after quite well. But, you know, for, for to, to spread as much as it has and, and to have all of those new opportunities to race in, in different places around the world, you know, the, the downside, I suppose, as well, it had to become a lot more of a commercial concern. And, um, and now, yeah, it's a you know, billion-dollar brand. And, um, yeah, unfortunately... You know, the, the athlete is sort of, um, yeah, maybe not first, it's second after the dollar maybe. Um, prices have gone up. Um, the experience in doing an Ironman I still think is fantastic. And, um, yeah, I, I, look, I just like to see a lot 
you know, it'd be great if it was more competitive and, you know, Challenge had made a, a big push into um, competing with um, with Ironman and especially you know, a, a temporary sort of push into the, the US. But, um, yeah, it's hard and, and Ironman are playing a tough game and protecting their turf and putting their races up against the Challenge races and, yeah, it hasn't been easy for challenge, but I I think it's better for the athletes. It's better for everyone other than perhaps Ironman if, if there's a bit more competition. But, hey, that's the way it is. And at the end of the day, you know, uh, being able to race an Ironman races and, you know, they do put on a good race and hey, that's, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's not all downside, the changes. But, um, yeah, I just think that, uh, it'd be great to see a bit more exposure for the professionals. Um, it'd be great to see you know, better coverage. And you know, there's been a lot of criticism about the, the um, streaming of, of races and especially the championship races and the, the 70.3 world champs. And you know, Hawaii's always had good coverage as far as sort of an hour highlights or whatever. But yeah, I just think. Um, yeah, let's let's promote the sport more. Let's yeah, it'd be fantastic to get it uh, more visibility with mainstream public. But um, yeah, that's, I'm sure it's not not easy. But yeah, it's definitely one of the challenges they are facing. I think Ben, as far as keeping keeping the passion going, uh, we often see it in the sport, and I'm sure it's the same in Australia because uh, it definitely is that way here. People burst onto the scene and they they all gung ho about the sport, and 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 they burn themselves out. Two or three years down the line, they're gone. Yeah. You don't see them again. How have you managed yeah. to stay fresh and and wanting to stay in the sport for as long as you have? I think, uh, yeah, look, my expectations early on, as I mentioned, were pretty low. I just, uh, yeah, I, I was, um, I was training with quite a few guys back then and, uh, they were all about 10 years younger than me, which did me the world of good because, you know, it meant that I didn't get ahead of myself and, um, they would kick my ass in, uh, training and often on race day. And, uh, yeah, I, I it kept me humble, but, um, and then, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's so important, and, and I really stress with the athletes that I coach that the, the main thing I want out of all of them is for them to embrace that lifestyle long term and get the health benefits and the, the mental health, not only physical health benefits from the sport, um, but also you know it's a tough sport, and you know I, we probably all know guys that have uh, that have uh, had problems with just doing too much and and needing an extended break from the sport because of injury or or illness and and just really wearing themselves out and a, a lot of guys um and when i say guys it's you know it's it's it's, it's the boys and the girls you know it's everyone it's um you know we, we get impatient that's human nature and we want whether it's a hawaii slide or it's the win or whatever it is we want it tomorrow we don't want to wait for a number of years an Ironman really does reward patience and um, to get good at Ironman, unless you're just a born natural, and I certainly wasn't. Um, you know, it took me, I think I did six Ironmans before I first uh, qualified for Kona. And um, and as I said early on, it, you know, my first Ironman, I was 100th in the age group. And, you know, thinking of ever one day qualifying for Hawaii, it was, uh, it was a pipe dream. It, you know, I didn't think it was going to happen. What is, what is the secret to, to qualifying, in, in your opinion?
for the answer to that question and more premium Kona Edge content, head over to thekonaedge.com forward slash support and stand in line to win an entry into a half Ironman event every single month valued at $350. That's thekonaedge.com forward slash support. Rob, looking looking at getting the sort of work-life family training racing balance right it's it's one thing many triathletes struggle with how do you how do you tell me a little bit about your your sort of domestic life and work life what's 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 the story and how do you keep keep things in check well uh i'm living the dream now brad i'm uh 12 months into leaving my corporate job of uh 33 years and um and yeah taking on coaching full time so uh i was gonna say you it's like you're a pro athlete rob (laughs) <laughs> which uh which has disadvantages i uh yeah I, I finished up work last july and um i thought fantastic i've got kona coming up and the uh, 70.3 world champs in Mooloolaba and uh i've got all this time to train and and i knew so many people that had been in the same situation that have ended up getting injured or burned out or whatever and um I thought I was being smart and, uh, yeah, but I ended up, uh, I had a pretty good race in Mooloolaba, but, uh, um, and I had a pretty good race in Kona, but both races, I just felt a little bit flat. And, um, in hindsight, I'm sure that, uh, yeah, I'd, uh, I hadn't freshened up enough on race day, given the uh, increase in, in training load that I'd taken on. And I was, you know, getting extra sleep, uh, extra recovery, extra massages and all sorts of stuff, which I thought would um, counteract the extra volume I was taking on. But, um, yeah, looking back on last year, it, it didn't work as well as I would have liked it to. But, um, but look, I had uh, all of those years in balancing my training with a demanding corporate job and um, and – I think yeah, there, there's a lot that I learned from that, which I pass on to my athletes now. Which is, yeah, you've you've just got to work out a way of how you can be efficient with your time. Um, you know, with the classic thing of, of of getting on the bike and and doing an hour or two, and then riding into work for your commute and having a shower at work, and then hitting the desk, things like that. That you know, you can um, fit a lot more training into your day if you just work out what. Uh, what's going to be most efficient for you with your time and, you know, things like getting out for a lunchtime run if you can and uh, um, things like that because, you know, we all have families and and we have other commitments and obligations. So you don't want the sport to start to detract from other things that are, you know, should be and, and are going to be more important to you in the long run. So uh, work out a way of – I used to find – yeah, you know, early morning is the one time, no matter how busy you are at work and and what uh, you know deliverables you've got on and and pressures from the boss and whatever else, the early morning was the one time that it was my own. So yeah, I'd set the alarm nice and early every morning during the week and get up and get on the bike for a couple of hours or or go to swim squad or yeah something like that where it was my own time. And then once I got to work, then whatever happened happened and that took a lot of pressure off and and then weekends yeah you can get the the long rides in and the long runs and and the stuff that you have to do for a, for preparing for an ironman but um yeah i think for 
you know, nearly everyone on the start line, they're doing pretty similar stuff every weekend. And, you know, a big part of what separates is the, the sort of front of packers to the people further, further back, uh, perhaps how much they can get done in the rest of the week, the Monday to Friday. Mm. Yeah, and it all comes down to just planning properly. And, and you're so right about the early morning stuff because as, as soon as you, you put a – and it happens to all of us – as soon as you put a workout off and go, oh, we're not going to do it this morning, we'll do it later this afternoon, things bleed into that time. And, and how many times is it yeah. the case that you never actually catch that work up, uh, workout up again because uh, things get in the way yeah. and life does get in the way. So it, it is vital. Yeah. Rob, as far as your sort of triathlon career, what, what would you say is – something you're most proud of looking looking back at it so far um good question <laughs> i'm guessing that the kona edge is not the only podcast you listen to if you're anything like me you probably listen to a ton of different podcasts i think at the moment i have uh, 10 or 15 go-tos that i listen to every single week and if you listen to a lot of podcasts, at some stage, you've probably thought about starting your own. Well, the good news is it's easier than you think. Thepodcastingacademy.com is giving you the opportunity to get your own podcast started right now. The Podcasting Academy is a 21-day step-by-step online program that will get you from zero to podcast in just three weeks. Right now, thepodcastingacademy.com is offering listeners of the Kona Edge a 25% discount. All you need to do is use the word Kona at checkout to qualify. Head over to thepodcastingacademy.com to find out more. I think uh, definitely qualifying for Hawaii the first time was really important to me. And as I said, I had no expectations when I started in my Ironman journey and uh, let alone my triathlon journey. But um, given that, yeah, my my dad and I used to watch it on TV on a Saturday afternoon and and talk about how crazy they were. And, and he passed away about six or seven years ago. But um, fortunately, he was alive for the first three or four Ironmans in Hawaii that I did. And, um, yeah, he, he knew it was a pretty big deal. And um, so I, I think uh, out of everything that I achieved, that was um, that meant a lot to me. And, yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty special to get to go over there and race against the best in, yeah, what is the what I see as the ultimate triathlon. The flip side of that coin, what's still left to achieve? <laughs> um yeah, we've always got to keep uh, raise, raising the bar and having new goals. And um, and look, I've um, I've been fortunate enough to to have have been quite successful racing here. And um, in the last couple of years, I've raced in Ironman New Zealand, and and before that, was racing Ironman Melbourne for a number of years, and and picking up some age group wins. And um, yeah, feeling like I'd come close to the perfect races we were talking about before, but. Um, yeah, definitely Hawaii is the uh, that's that um, the holy grail, I suppose, of of um, feeling that I'm really competitive there, and you know, I'd love to get up on the stage as top five in the age group, and and once I achieve that, I know that it'll be gunning for that uh, number one position one day. Um, yeah, my best result in Hawaii is fifteenth, and um, yeah, I've got a bit of work to do there. It's um, it, it's not an easy race, and if it was easy, it wouldn't mean as much to me and everyone else who does it. Eh? 
If I say the word Kona, what do you think of? I think of I think of the place and the people, to be honest. And um, I mean, I love getting over there and you know, coming from Melbourne winter and you know needing to acclimatise over the years. I've I've ended up sort of going there earlier and earlier almost every year. Um, but I love the it's so quiet and peaceful for the first week or two, and then race week just gets crazy. Yeah, you know? so. I, when I, yeah, someone mentions Kona me, to me, I think of, uh, yeah, the the palm trees and the heat and and the, you know, just the sleepy little town that it is for most of the year, and uh, yeah, the race is almost like this foreign thing that happens to the place, but uh, but at the same time, the race is a beautiful thing in itself. Absolutely. Well, Rob, it's been great catching up. I look forward to chatting to you about the individual disciplines, but we'll save that for for next week. Thanks for, for your time today. Not a problem, Brad. Great to talk. And that's it for this edition of the Kona Edge. Thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, thank you very much, too, for everyone who has left us iTunes reviews. They keep coming, and uh, it just really helps us spread the message of the podcast and get in front of more and more people. If you haven't left us one yet, please consider doing so. Uh, It really does uh, help us grow this podcast and grow the sport that we all love so much. Uh, Go on in from Linosaurus X. I love that name in the United States, saying one of the best tripe podcasts there is. I love Brad's take on interviewing top age groupers. Brings a different perspective for us average folks and keeps us hopeful that we can probably make it to the big island someday. If not, we'll be all right living vicariously through others' experiences. Linosaurus Rex, uh, X, rather. thank you so much uh, for that. Much appreciated. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to giving you a shout-out after you've left uh, an iTunes review on uh, online for us. Thank you so much for listening. We're back again tomorrow with another edition. Until then, from myself, Brad Brown, cheers. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Kona Edge. Don't forget to connect with us on social media. Simply search for the Kona Edge.